Hello, welcome everyone to podcast number three on the basics of retirement and investing. And to those of you who listened to my first two podcasts, thanks a lot. You know, I know you've got busy schedules and you took some time out to listen to me talk about the basics on retirement and general investing or brokerage accounts. So thanks a lot. And again, my name is Elliot. This is Touchstone Financial Education, and you can find me at touchstonefinancialeducation.com. You can send me a message, tell me what you think, reach out, ask some questions. Um, There's my shameless plug. So let's get into it for today. On this episode, I would like to talk about, or start talking about rather, what goes into these types of accounts. So we laid out the framework about the type of account you can have, Now we're going to discuss what goes in them. And I'm going to start with the retirement plans at work, 401k, 403b, 457s, right? What we have to choose from for our retirement are funds, whether they be mutual funds or exchange-traded funds. And some of the most common questions I get asked around this are, you know, what's the difference between the two? And we're going to spell that out today, all right? The most common choice in a retirement account is a mutual fund. And basically, it's just a basket of stocks, a basket of bonds, or a combination of both. That's it. So instead of buying one stock like Tesla, for example, or Netflix, for example, your dollars are spread amongst many different companies. Okay. And in essence, that is the true definition of diversification. All right. Instead of concentrating our dollars in one position, we spread it out over many. All right. So we mitigate our risk by diversifying. That's basically what that is. All right. And in most retirement plans, you have many different choices. Well, not many. How about this? You got about 20 to 25. Okay. From very conservative to very aggressive. And where you are in your work life, et cetera will determine the funds that you choose. And I'm going to save that topic for the next two or three podcasts that I do, and that'll be on asset allocation. So we're just going to focus on the funds themselves. And there's two types, okay? There is a mutual fund, and there's an exchange-traded fund. And the reason I wanted to break it out this way today is because, believe it or not, the most common question I get asked on any given day is, What's the difference between a mutual fund and an exchange-traded fund? It's simple. First of all, mutual funds have been around forever. You know, um, they are the most common form of investing for individual investors. Again, through retirement plans and, of course, through taxable investment accounts. Basically, Fidelity and Vanguard and T. Rowe Price, etc., they built their business on providing mutual funds to investors. All right? Now... One of the things that we notice about mutual funds first is that when you look up a mutual fund, you're doing research, you're looking at your retirement handbook, etc., is that next to the fund name, there is a ticker symbol. That tells the investment house, wherever you are, what you want to invest in, okay? And with a mutual fund, it has a five-place designation on its ticker symbol. So, for example... The Vanguard S&P 500 fund in the mutual fund form is VFIAX, Victor Frank Idaho Apple X-Ray, all right? 
Number two, and this is kind of less known, if you look at the price of a mutual fund, whether the market is open or not, all right, we get one price per day. The reason being is mutual fund shares are not traded on an exchange. Let me say that again. Mutual fund shares are not traded on an exchange. That means that we get one price per day. That price comes from the mutual fund company itself because when we purchase shares of a mutual fund, technically we are buying them directly from the company that issues them. Fidelity, Vanguard, T. Rowe Price, MFS, Seligman, etc., so on and so forth. Okay, which isn't bad. They make it simple enough for us to purchase shares through our retirement account and, of course, in our brokerage account. And one of the things you'll also notice, too, about these things is that when you buy mutual fund shares, many times you're putting in a dollar amount, not the number of shares you want to purchase, or through your retirement plan at work, you are attributing a certain percentage of your paycheck every couple of weeks, once a month, however often you get paid. And when you acquire these shares, you will notice that you get partial shares, okay? So that, let's say you bought the VFIAX, for example, and instead of buying 100 whole shares, you might have ended up with 100.238 shares. You get to buy partials with mutual fund shares, all right? Again, the idea is to simplify for the individual investor. Now, once we make that purchase, again, whether it be in your retirement account or in your brokerage account, as a default in most trading platforms and most investing platforms today, it is automatic that you reinvest the capital gains, meaning the growth of the mutual fund shares, as well as the dividend and interest income. And for those of you who are new to this, dividend and interest is just money earned as a result of holding a particular stock, or in this case, shares of a mutual fund. So companies like Procter & Gamble and Clorox and ExxonMobil, etc., they pay out dividends. And if you have bonds, then the bonds pay interest and that money gets reinvested. So if you notice year after year, as you hold your funds in your retirement account, etc., you actually end up with more shares. So year one, you might have, again, 100.238 shares. But by the beginning of year two, because of the growth in the fund, and I'm going to use 2021 as an example, the S&P 500 was up about 27%. Okay, that money was reinvested and you acquired more shares. So the idea behind mutual fund or fund investing in general is that over time, your growth comes from the purchase of more shares through your capital gains, the growth of the stocks inside the fund or the growth of the bonds, if there's any, and the dividend income and, of course, interest income. All right. That's the true trick, trick, excuse me, behind investing in funds. Now, that's a mutual fund. Again, five place designation on the ticker, automatic reinvestment of capital gains, dividend income and interest income. You can hold these things in your IRA, individual retirement account, your retirement account at work or your brokerage account. That, in short, ladies and gentlemen, is a mutual fund.
All right. Now, again, getting back to the original question, what's the difference between the mutual fund and the ETF? Let's go on to ETFs real quick. An ETF, an exchange-traded fund, is relatively new to the scene. They've been around about, oh, I don't know, I'd say 15, maybe 20 years, all right? And they were created as an alternative to mutual funds to provide a lower cost structure. And once I describe ETFs, I'd like to get into the cost structure of both because they're the same, okay? So as an alternative to mutual funds, these ETFs were created and guess what? They're issued by the same companies who make the mutual funds, Vanguard, T. Rowe Price, MFS, Seligman, Davis, whatever it is that you have access to, okay? But here's the big difference between the mutual fund and the exchange-traded fund. The ETF is traded on an exchange unlike the mutual fund shares we buy directly from the company. Let me say that again. An ETF is purchased through an exchange. And we know this by the number of symbols in its ticker, right? So whereas a mutual fund will have five places in its designation, again, VFIAX for the S&P 500 fund from Vanguard, the equivalent at Vanguard is the VOO. And many of you have heard of that. Many of you have probably held or are holding the VOO because it's very popular. They are the exact same fund, but one is purchased on the exchange and one is purchased directly through Vanguard itself. Now, when we buy ETFs, okay, some places will let you buy partial shares, sure, but usually when we go in to buy an ETF, we are buying whole shares. So when you place your order, whether it be through your retirement plan at work, your IRA, or your brokerage account, again, general investment account, all right, we are buying whole shares, much like we would buy whole shares of a stock on an exchange or over-the-counter, which we will get to later, all right? So the difference is one is bought directly from the mutual fund company itself. The other is bought and sold, excuse me, bought and sold, on the exchange. Now, one of the questions I also get as a result of this is, is the performance the same? Pretty much, yeah, they are. You know, you will find some slight differences, especially on the index fund side. There's a whole lot of buying and selling on any given day in and out of these things. And there might be, I don't know, half a point, point difference on any given day. But the reality is the underlying investments, because they are a basket of stocks, a basket of bonds or a combination of both, the performance will be the same. So if you check out the VOO on Google, check out VFIAX, you'll see what I mean. All right. Now, who prefers which? Believe it or not, it doesn't really matter, but I do find this uh, in my experience and in my practice, it is younger folks tend to gravitate towards the ETFs and older folks, because that's what they're used to, go ahead and get the mutual funds. And then through our retirement accounts, we really don't have a choice. And right now it's still more often than not mutual fund shares. Okay, now that's the basics. We got a mutual fund, we got an ETF. Now I'd like to talk about how much they cost. All right, the ETF, if it is bought through the Fidelities, the Schwabs, the Vanguards, the whatever, that was no commission on the trade. So you can go ahead and invest your money 
and it doesn't cost you anything to get in or out of these things. All right. So the cost associated with the investment is once you hold the shares, there's something called an expense ratio. Now, if you Google any ticker symbol, all right, or you're logged into your system and you look it up, the expense ratio pops up. And all that means is this is how much per year the fund is charging you to hold their shares, even if it's traded on an exchange like an exchange traded fund. Okay, most ETFs pretty much across the board, they do have lower expense ratios than mutual funds these days. Again, that's why they were created to compete with the higher cost mutual funds. But, you know, in the last 10 years or so, 10 plus years, I'd say the price of mutual funds have also come down to compete with the ETF. All right. So an expense ratio is stated as such. It's a ratio. So you'll see a percentage. 0.04%, or I'd say this, for index funds, 0.02% to 0.04% is pretty common. That's 20 bucks to 40 bucks per year for every $10,000 invested. Let me say that again, 0.02 to 0.04 on index funds, 20 bucks to 40 bucks per year for every $10,000 invested. Okay, now mutual funds also have expense ratios. And if we're using index funds, same thing. I mean, again, the prices are very close. Either or will do, all right? There is no advantage. Uh, the risk that you take between either or, as long as it's the same fund, will be very much the same, all right? Again, ETFs are bought on an exchange. Mutual fund shares are bought directly from the mutual fund company issuing themselves. and. I gotta reiterate this point, ETFs and mutual funds, for the most part, are like for like. Vanguard will issue a mutual fund and has its equivalent in the ETF version. T. Rowe Price, same thing. They got a mutual fund, they got an ETF. Nuveen, uh, Newberger, Berman, whomever you decide to invest through, for every mutual fund out there, there is an equivalent ETF. And then take a look at those expense ratios, okay? Because the performance, essentially is going to be the same, all right? And that's basically the difference between the two. We take a look at the performance. We take a look at the expense ratios. Mutual funds allow you to reinvest the capital gains, the dividends, and the interest income. And guess what? Most platforms today also allow the same opportunity on ETFs. So whatever capital gains, the fund shares earn in any given year, all right, um, as well as dividend income and interest income gets reinvested. As a matter of fact, right now it is tax season. Actually, it's the 21st of April, so tax day is come and gone. But I'll tell you, if you look at your fourth quarter statement from 21 and look at your first quarter statement, or excuse me, if you look at your fourth quarter statement of 20, God, I'm getting ahead of myself, and then you look at your first quarter statement of 21, you will notice for most of you, you will have an increased number of shares, okay? And not to get too much into the weeds on this one, but the mutual fund price tends to reset every year as they pay out those capital gains, dividend, and interest income, all right? ETFs kind of do the same thing. That's why mutual fund shares in particular don't increase in value kind of like 
Berkshire Hathaway shares, for those of you who know what I'm talking about, you know, $80,000 per share, whatever, unless you got the B shares and so forth, all right? So the price resets every year, you acquire more shares, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you make money using funds over a long period of time. And I've got to say this too, for both options, whether we are investing through mutual funds, ETFs, or both, by the way, they are long-term investment vehicles. So if you're trying to play the short end of the market, trying to take advantage of something shorter term, most likely mutual funds or ETFs are not for you. All right. And in this podcast today, I used the example of index funds. But ladies and gentlemen, I have to impress upon you that there are many different types of funds out there. All right. There are growth funds. There are income funds or high yield dividend income funds. There's value growth. There are balanced funds. Okay. There are um, income only funds, etc. And on the next podcast, I'm going to get into much more detail on the difference between those two. But I would like to end with this. The index fund example that I provided, okay, that is a category of funds that we call passively managed or passive funds. And what that means is there is no money manager for that mutual fund or ETF because basically you are investing in the index itself. And the index doesn't change too much. Take a look at the S&P 500. Take a look at the NASDAQ 100. Take a look at the Russell 2000. The index is pretty much set. So there, no, there doesn't need to be a money manager there to help you out. All right. The other broad category of funds are called actively managed funds. All right. And we'll get into that next time. Actively managed funds tend to have a much higher expense ratio. Remember, the expense ratio is the cost of holding those shares. All right. Index funds, again, 0.02 to 0.04 with some actively managed funds out there. And by the way, there are some good ones. Okay. Um, you can have an expense ratio that can approach almost 1%, depending on the kind of fund it is. And I find that emerging market funds or international funds, sector funds, which sector funds are funds that invest in a very narrow band of the market, like technology, clean energy, um, so on and so forth. Okay, they tend to have higher expense ratios because you need a money manager picking stocks in that category. Emerging market too, same thing they tend to have a much higher expense ratio because you have a team who spends their days and some nights looking for the best opportunities overseas in countries that are not, let's just say it, first world countries as it's kind of described, but most emerging markets are anchored in China. And again, this is just an excellent segue to say, hey guys, please tune in to next time because I'd really like to describe to you the differences between all of these categories on the actively managed fund side. Again, higher expense ratios, but also important and can have a significant impact on the performance of your retirement accounts and brokerage accounts over the long haul. All right, so stay tuned. Thank you for taking the 20 minutes or so it took to listen to this. I appreciate you guys. Uh, again, my name is Elliot. This is Touchstone Financial Education. 
My website is touchstonefinancialeducation.com. And if you like it, hey, please shoot me an email. Tell me what you think. Everyone, please have a good day. And once again, thank you for listening. Bye-bye.